Welcome to Scars to Stars, where conversations and personal stories let us know we are not alone. In this show, you will meet authors and speakers from our books and events as they share vulnerable personal stories to spread hope and inspire you through adversities in your own life. The world is a difficult place. You will find like-minded people here with kind hearts and supportive souls. I am your host, Dina Brown Mitchell. I am a suicide survivor and the founder of the Realize Foundation. I am so glad you are here. Let's dig into this meaningful conversation. Hello, everybody. It's Dina, and I'm here today with Daryl Rogers, and he is a family recovery coach. And he is going to talk to us today about what do we do when we find out our son or daughter has a drug or alcohol addiction. And I know he uses drugs to describe both, but I wanted to say that at the beginning so you understand we're talking about drug and alcohol. So welcome, Daryl, and I'm going to let you take it away. All right. Thanks, Dana. Good to be here with you. I appreciate this opportunity to, uh, to talk to parents. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a difficult thing to deal with um, when you find out that your child is addicted to drugs or alcohol. Um, and I think that leads to a good question, like, how do you know they're addicted? <laughs> uh, sometimes that's a tough thing to determine. You know, um, I think parents a lot of times um, have a, a knee-jerk reaction early on when they find out that their child is using drugs, which uh, is totally understandable, especially in today's environment. Uh, there are a lot of drugs out there that, uh, um, well, first of all, you know, fentanyl is is very uh, pervasive now. It's everywhere and it ends up in uh, other drugs that wouldn't normally be fatal. So, uh, uh, you know, yeah, it's a concern. It's a big concern. So, um, you know, uh, first thing I'm going to do is say, there is a guy out there named, he goes by Tall Cop. His name is Jermaine Galloway. And I would suggest if you're having doubts um, about whether your child is uh, really addicted or not, uh, the first thing to do is to, you have to do a little bit of investigation. Um, and I would caution against the whole reaction thing. I want you to respond instead of react. Uh, don't blow up. Don't allow your fear to cause you to um, really uh, say things to your child that that can uh, put up a wall there. You want them to communicate openly with you. So um, try to make sure you're in a calm state of mind before you uh, have that conversation with them. But then uh, back to Jermaine. Uh, Jermaine is a former uh, police officer and he does a lot of presentations on what to look for, especially in terms of drug paraphernalia and things like that. So um, uh, you may want to go uh, take your child to see a therapist because if they're using drugs, even if they're just experimenting, if they're doing much at all, it's probably more than what you think. And it can quickly go from just casual use to an addiction especially with the drugs, the power of the drugs that are out there today. Um, so you want to be on top of it. You maybe get them a therapist because if they're using, they're probably, uh, there's something they're coping with. There's some kind of an underlying issue that they're coping with 
um, that um, is causing this, uh, causing them to go down this path. Um, so you want to you want to uh, quickly uh, get to the bottom of that and try to uh, nip this in the butt. Thank you, Daryl. Maybe um, before I forget, would you tell everybody where they would find Jermaine or Talk? Jermaine, yeah. Um, I think it's tallcop.com, but if, if you just search, do a search for tall cop, you'll find him. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I think it's, it is, um, to your point, it is easy to have a reaction that could cause more, um, you know, building a wall or more, um, fighting or negativity around it. Um, and so I think that's a really good point. So you were going to talk about um, difficult decisions and how how you would move forward once you have this information. Yeah, definitely. If if you feel like they um, have an addiction or or um, they're quickly headed towards uh, becoming addicted, or if you have that question in your mind. Um, uh, you know, there are some very difficult decisions to make. And it's a little bit different with a teenager versus a child who is over eight. Well, a teenager who's over 18 or, an, you know, they're legally an adult, uh, basically. So, um, uh, you know, if, if your child's under 18, the decisions are different. Um, you know, if they're under 18, you can tell them they have to go to treatment. They don't really have an option uh, they could, you know, yeah, there's a lot of different things that could happen there. They could try to run away or something along those lines, but, uh, but you really have a lot more control and, um, uh, that's where you really need to reach out, find, uh, some good help to, um, some good, some seek wise counsel, you know, find some, some people that you can trust, get all the information that you can, but I do see parents get hung up here a lot. They're afraid to make a decision, um, particularly if if we're talking about, and I know we're talking about teenagers here today, but if we're talking about um, a, a child who's legally an adult, um, you know, you may need an intervention to be able to get them into treatment. Um, a lot of parents get hung up on that. You know, with an intervention, you're usually giving them, and depending on the type of intervention, there are different types. But uh, a lot of parents get hung up on, um, you know, giving them an ultimatum. And in the Johnson model, which seems to be the most prevalent, uh, that's part of it. You give them an ultimatum. You pack your bags and move out or you're going to treatment. We'll pay for it. It's up to you. And a lot of parents are really scared to do that. It's a scary moment. But, um, you know, and I, and I would recommend um, longer term treatment programs normally. Uh, and that gets into another whole discussion that can can get uh, pretty complex, but um, uh, it's expensive. It's it, treatment is expensive. There are some less expensive. Don't let that scare you away because there are some less expensive alternatives, and uh, parents need to find out about those. Uh, you know, but uh, uh, we're talking about your child's life here, and. Uh, literally their life could be, is probably most likely hanging in the balance. They're not trying to scare you, but it's just, it's just the reality of it. And, uh, it's, it's important to, um, to not delay, 
to to make to be decisive, take action um, in spite of the fear. You know, get get as much good information as you can. Make a decision, take action, and and uh, don't let the don't let the fear stop you from doing what you need to do. That's good advice. Um, it's it's hard though. I mean, I've never been in that situation. I know you have, Daryl. And um, if any of you want to hear more about Daryl's story, he has written in our first Scars to Stars book, um, and there's a, a there's an interview with him on our YouTube channel as well. But I have talked to some other parents who have been through something like this as well, and it is really scary. And I think it, it also really depends on the relationship you already have with your child or teen. And, and if they're already, you know, close to you enough to where they're going to talk to you about these things, or maybe there's already a wall there that, that is making it more difficult. And if you, if you have that situation, what would you suggest for parents to how how for them to go about having these conversations? Yeah, that's a really really good question, Dan. I'm glad you you asked that. Um, you know, we all can improve our listening skills, <laughs> and and that's the that's one of the biggest keys to communication to effective communication is learning how to be an active listener, and uh, it's one of those things that. None of us are ever perfect at. We have to keep working at, you know, over our, over the course of our lifetime. Um, and this is something where I think parents can um, in, increase their effectiveness. Most parents can can really increase their effectiveness with with their teens. Um, and so, just a couple of quick tips on that. You know, obviously, try to make eye contact. Don't stare at them all the time. You know, you look at different parts of their face as you're talking, but definitely make eye contact when you're having that conversation. Um, like I said earlier, uh, respond instead of react and try to get to the bottom of, of what's going on. And the, and the way you're going to do that is not by uh, like a Spanish Inquisition or whatever. You know, it's not not to uh, not to ask all these probing questions, but um you know, when, when they're expressing their feelings about something, you may not agree with what they're saying. First of all, be aware of your body language and your facial expressions because uh, you can be saying one thing but completely communicating something different with your body language. And uh, that takes practice. That takes practice because it's really easy. And, I, and I'm the world's worst. You know, if, if I'm upset about something, it's all over my face. So, I, you know, to try to um, uh, uh, get that under control is, is sometimes a little bit difficult. But um, uh, along those same lines, I would say that um, you want to validate their feelings. In other words, you may not agree with what they're saying. So you see, some of the key phrases that you might use would be something like this, like, um, yeah, um, let me ask you a question about that. Did, is this what you're saying? Uh, let me make sure I'm understanding you correctly. Um, and so you kind of, uh, re you paraphrase what they said. You say it back to them, you reflect it back to them. And that lets them know that you heard what they said. Now you may get it wrong or, uh, they may think you got it wrong. So, 
um, that's why you use that question. Is am I right? Is that is that the, what you're saying? And that gives them the opportunity to correct you, and that's okay. Is you know give them that opportunity to say no, no, that's not what I meant. This is what I meant. And and you have to really lower your defenses. You know uh, maybe if, if if you feel like you're going to get into that situation and um, tempers could flare. Um, and you're really emotional about it. You have to kind of take a few deep breaths, you know, before you start the conversation, try to get yourself calm. And if the octave goes up, if the if the voices, if the, you know, the volume continues to go up in the conversation, when when their volume goes up, try to lower your voice, bring your voice back down, speak calmly, speak softly. Um, they will hear what you're saying a lot more. Um, and you know, I, I don't mind telling you, I have a military background and, uh, and I have a booming voice, you know, I grew up singing in the choir. I have this kind of a bass baritone kind of voice and, uh, it can be very effective at getting people's attention when I need it to. And, um, and, uh, and, and that, that can be an asset, but you, you know, if, if you're like that, if you're a dad and you're out there listening and you're kind of like that, you need to learn how to also, uh, when you really want uh, people to hear you and you want them to know that you're hearing them, uh, lower that tone and, and just speak in a calm, quiet tone. Um, and that um, that can be very effective at um, at de-escalating uh, things when when things are are beginning to heat up with the conversation. Yes, that that is true, and and I think. To your point earlier that when there is an addiction occurring, there is something else going on. And I think that it could be a lot of, of what we talk about in general um, in all of our events and our books and everything is like, who are you surrounding yourself with and, and protecting your mind, which is part of our hope course on our website. And it's, you know, you are the combination of the five people you spend the most time with. And if your if your teen is hanging out with the people that are doing drugs and, you know, those things, then that's what is influencing them. And I don't know that you can change that. I mean, you might have some some advice about that, Daryl. But I think that the other thing I wanted to point out is like if they're really dealing with depression or they're dealing with anxiety, or they're dealing with bullying, which we're also going to talk about today. Um, you know, those are underlying things that could push them into this, this place as well. And so I don't know if you want to expand on that a little bit from your experience. Yeah, that that's a really difficult thing, you know. Um, and, and when they're teenagers, they're obviously they're in this transition stage from child to adult. And they want um, to be respected, to be uh, understood. Uh, they want the admiration of their peers. They, they want to be accepted by their peers. And so um, uh, sometimes uh, because of that, they are subject to um, peer pressure. And, um, you know, obviously the younger they are, uh, the more opportunity you have to mold uh, the way they think and and try to reinforce uh, 
uh, values that will uh, hopefully, you know, get them around other kids and, and think about the company that, that they're sharing, uh, get them around other kids who are, you know, from families who have similar values and who are behaving the way that you would like for your, your child to behave. Um, however, uh, you know, it's, it's, if you're later in the game, you know, that's going to be difficult. You, you can have conversations with them and you can, you know, control it to the, to the extent that you can know who their friends are, know who know about the meet the parents of their friends, uh, do everything you can to, to control that. Uh, as much as you can. Of course, you know, if they're under 18, you can uh, enforce certain rules. Um, it gets a little bit more difficult, though, as they're becoming an older team because they're going to push back against that, and uh, that can become a wedge uh, in, your, in your, your relationship, and you really don't want that. So uh, there's a little bit of a, a, a balancing act there. Uh, you know, um, in terms of... Um, them going down the wrong path. Yeah, that definitely is what happened with my son. You know, um, here, here's a big factor. Confidence is key. Uh, when, when they lack confidence, they are more, they're looking out, they're looking for the acceptance of their peers even more, even more so. Um, uh, so I would I've always encouraged parents. I think I think this is a big problem that we have now is a lack of confidence in our teenagers and young adults. And everything that you can do to build their confidence um, in their, uh, you know, just just overall build their confidence and in their abilities and everything um, that will go a long ways towards, um, you know, giving them a foundation that will help them. Avoid becoming a um, uh, peer pressure um, casualty, or or a peer pressure um, uh, you know statistic. Um, so so yeah, I would um, I, I like um, you know first of all I'm a Christian, so from from my perspective, I think um, you know it's very important to get them uh grounded in in the word of god and um uh get them into church and uh put them in every situation that you can to to help them develop that relationship uh with god and and to um and to develop spiritually and there'll be a lot of confidence that will come from that aside from that i think that um you know uh, I like positive affirmations, um, but there's no better positive affirmation than the affirmations that come from a parent to a child. Um, so, you know, when you, um, we, we tend to, as parents sometimes, and I think it's just a people thing, okay, we, we tend to focus on the negative. And so what I would say is try to not spend try to spend as little time on the things that they're doing wrong as you can and try to spend as much time praising them. Try to catch them doing things right and spend as much time as you can praising them for the things that you see them doing right. And that will go a long ways. Now, in terms of positive affirmations, it's, you know, um, 
you know, they can, you can write positive affirmations for them. Um, I've got an old website. I don't use it that much anymore, but is that, and maybe I should move some of these over to my website, but I've got a website called uh, um, Power Word. I think it's powerwords.com. I have to, or Power Tools. Power Tools. I have to look up the, the link for you, Dana, but uh, there's actually um, uh, little uh, downloads, PDF downloads that they can get there that have positive affirmations for uh, youth that they can read. And I, and I have a book that I wrote um, that is actually geared towards teenagers, and it's all about building confidence. And um, that um, that is, is, I believe, one of the keys to helping them um, be able to deal with the peer pressure so that they can, can push on past that and not be uh, lured into experimenting with drugs. That's really good. I didn't know about that book you have or that website. So that would be really, I think that could really help. Um, yeah, I think like in my own life, my parents were always very, now that I hear you talk about that, they were always telling me I could do whatever I wanted, you know, like whatever you aspire to or whatever you want. It, it was a lot of positive reinforcement, even when I didn't realize it, I think in my life. And, and that didn't keep me from having issues when I was a young adult, but right. you know, it, it did get me through high school. So I think that's a really good point about affirmations and just catching them doing something right. Like you said, I think it's, it's important to um, acknowledge that for sure. Yeah, and you know, you know, I kind of look at it too as um, sort of like uh, planting a seed. Um, so even if they go through a rough spot, you've planted that seed there, and at some point, that can come back up, and they can rem they will remember those. The things that you say are locked in there. You know, they may not remember every word. But uh, but the things that you say are in their mind and uh, you planted a when you plant positive seeds, they they tend to come up at some point. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's really true. I want to ask you about the marijuana situation, because I live in Colorado. It's been legal for a while. Um, and I know you are having some issues with that in, in the state where you live. And I didn't know if you want to talk about that, but it might be good for parents who are in either situation, whether it's legal or not legal and the ramifications of both, because if there are teens that are underage using marijuana where it's not legal, like I assume there's more ramifications for them than there are for people in states where it is legal. Yeah, well, you know, um, it's really been to a large extent in almost every state decriminalized, if you want to use that word. In other words, um, I think law enforcement now, um, I think the general attitude is that they have bigger things to worry about. And um, um, I'm not saying that's the, the best attitude, but but it's just a reality that there are a lot of big issues you know that they're facing uh, out there 
So, um, you know, but in, ter- in terms of what's going on with marijuana right now, um, it was the, the biggest issue that my son faced. Um, he was addicted to marijuana and a lot of parents don't realize, I think there, there's a lot of misinformation out there. People think, oh, it's not addictive. You know, that's, that's one of the myths it is very addictive. And when you go back and look, um, you know, I graduated from high school in 1978, <laughs> but, uh, um, the, the marijuana that people were smoking then was, you know, it was about two to 3% THC content. And then in the mid nineties, you know, they began, the growers began to selectively breed the plants to, um, create higher THC content. And it got up to around 18 to 20%, you know, and, um, but, uh, that's not all, you, you know, there are different types of wax extracts. There's, um, dabs. Uh, dabs are pretty popular and um, uh, that can have dabs can have up to 60% THC content and it goes all the way up to like 99% or 100% THC content. So it's not the same drug. It is a powerful drug. Now, and we're, when we're talking about marijuana, our parents need to realize we're talking about all of those things, not just, you know, you know, when somebody's smoking a blunt or whatever. Um, so, um, uh, there's that issue. Um, there's the issue of impaired driving on marijuana. Um, it, it is a, it does impair, um, a person's ability to safely operate a motor vehicle. And unfortunately law enforcement just doesn't have the same kind of tools to get marijuana impaired drivers off the road that, that they do for alcohol. It's different. It just metabolized differently in the body. So, um, uh, but here's the thing that I see. Um, that increased potency is creating a lot of problems for people that we didn't have uh, much of a few years back. And, um, you know, I started uh, facilitating a peer support group for parents who have children who are addicted to drugs or alcohol five years ago on a volunteer basis. And um, when the parents Parents in that group early on, mostly their kids were having issues with um, with uh, opioids. But now all of the new parents coming to my group, when I ask, well, what kind of issue is your child having? Like, it seems like 90% of them are like, they have a problem with marijuana. They're addicted to marijuana. And um, uh, there's even this condition called cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome that most people have never heard of. And I know it's a mouthful. But uh, uh, you can go to Facebook and look, there are two different uh, support groups that I'm aware of that are big support groups. I'm sure there are others uh, for this condition. Um, uh, it's known as uh, CHS, um, and I'll repeat the word again, it's cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. ER physicians are very well aware of it because they see it quite frequently. And uh, what happens is not a very pleasant thing. The um, People who are using marijuana, it doesn't affect everybody. We don't, there's a lot of things we don't understand about it, but the people who are using it, who get, who come down with CHS, they start to uh, throw up and they cannot stop throwing up. And um, uh, it will get so bad that they have to be hospitalized because they lose body fluids. They get some relief from getting into a hot shower. And um, uh, so some of them will have second degree burns on their back. Uh, and scarring in some cases just from staying in the hot shower so much to just to get some relief from the nausea. Uh, the only way for it to go away is for them to stop using it and they can never use it again. 
Um, and you go in those support groups and you will see that they will admit I'm addicted. I, I want to stop because I know it makes me sick to the point that I have to go to the hospital and I, yeah, I'm having a really hard time uh, fighting off these cravings. So yes, very addictive. Um, you know, then, then there's uh, a lot more issues with psychosis related to marijuana use now. And I think it's because, again, because of those um, increased uh, THC levels. So, um, so yeah, a lot of issues with it. You don't take marijuana use lightly because it can escalate quickly. Um, and uh, not only that, but uh, they can, a lot of times it is a gateway drug uh, from the standpoint that when they begin using, um, you know, uh, it, it's stimulating uh, dopamine production and it's not natural dopamine production. So the, the brain, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like, okay, well, um, this person is is giving me this stimulating this dopamine artificially. I'm going to dial back my natural dopamine production, and uh, and and so what happens is you can't ever. You're always looking for a higher. Uh, you have to go higher and higher and higher with the uh, stimulation of that dopamine production to be able to achieve the same high. And so they will turn to other drugs to get a a, a bigger dopamine spike. And that's how they end up, you know, um, with on some of these other drugs. So, it, you know, yeah, parents need to be aware of this and they need to not not take it lightly. Thank you, Daryl. That's really good information. And I think the other thing that I've heard, I've, I've never used marijuana, so I don't. I lived in Alaska in the 90s when it was legal and I was around it, but I wasn't ever a, a user. Um, but there are people who talk about um, marijuana being laced with other drugs. Oh, yeah. Like when you were talking about fentanyl earlier, like what is your experience with that and what kind of drugs people are putting in it and what that does? Mm. I'm hearing a lot about fentanyl ending up in pills. And they're, you know, pills that look like they look real, but they're homemade. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, I think it's intentional that the, uh, the dealer or whoever's manufacturing the pill thinks, Oh, we put a little bit of fentanyl in here. We'll give them a bigger high. Uh, they're going to want more of this. They'll be addicted and, and they'll want, they'll come back for more. Um, and, and they don't really care about what happens. Uh, they don't really think about that. You know, if somebody overdoses or not. Um, uh, the other thing I think that happens, I think it's probably more often the case is that, you know, fentanyl, it only takes, if you look at, uh, like three grains of salt, uh, that's about the amount of fentanyl that it takes for someone to overdose, um, and have a fatal overdose. And of course it depends on the tolerance levels of the individual. It's going to vary from one person to the, to the next, but, um, and depending on if there's prior use, but, um, but yeah, um, uh, so what happens, I think a lot of times is there, you know, you have a dealer that's dealing a lot of different drugs and there's an accidental, um, what's the term I'm, I'm looking for here? Uh, uh, but there's, they accidentally end up, um, getting some of the fentanyl into, uh, one of their pills. Uh, but I'm, I'm hearing it a lot with like, um, 
Percocets is what I'm hearing a lot, but I'm sure there are other pills too that end up with fentanyl and it does happen sometimes with marijuana as well for the, some of the same reasons. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, very dangerous thing. So if they're using really any drug, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's totally different landscape now. Um, you know, go back 20, 30, 40 years, um, or even not even that far, even 10 years, you know, you could go back that far and, and, uh, uh, kids could experiment uh, a little bit with drugs and and kind of get away with it, you know. Uh, but I know of a lot of stories, a lot of situations where um, it, it was a one-time use or maybe there was just a little bit of light experimentation and they ended up getting a uh, uh, fatal uh, dose of uh, fentanyl. So um, this is unfortunate, um, but... Um, but this is something that, that parents need to be uh, aware of. Yeah, for sure. It's crazy to me because I, I study suicide rates a lot and it's crazy to me how suicide rates and overdose rates are separated. And I mean, I know there are accidental overdoses, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them, should be in the suicide numbers. And I think yeah. the, the the numbers that we know from the CDC and things are not what I think are the real numbers, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. around veterans. And so it's, it's just, this problem is so big and there's so many people in the world that, that don't even They've never been touched by suicide, so they don't really understand how important this is. Um, and I think that, you know, the the ages of suicide victims are getting lower and lower and lower. And we're having like nine year olds and 12 year olds that are that are taking their lives. And the easiest way to do that is with a pill. Um, and it's it just, it breaks my heart. And I, I don't, people have asked me for a year or more, you know, to talk about this subject about teens and about kids. And I've, I've shied away from it because I've really not been not feeling like I'm an expert in that arena. Um, so I really appreciate you being here and talking about this because you have a lot more experience with that than I do. Um, and then do you think that maybe parents as a preventative measure measure could have conversations around this? And if that was the case, like maybe you have a preteen that is, you know, you don't suspect that anything's going on, but what kind of conversation could you have with them to warn them about this? And what would you do in that situation? Yeah. Um yeah, definitely with a preteen. I think because, uh, um, gosh, it's, it's you know it's crazy to think that you would have to have that conversation with a kid that's in um, you know first through fifth grade, right? Uh, but uh, definitely by the time they're in middle school, um, and, and you know your own child, and and you have to you have to um, uh, you know let your gut tell you what to do on, on that. But, um, 
when when to have that conversation. But definitely, um, you know, in, in while they're in middle school, I, I can, uh, you know, that's a, that's a perfect time in, in my opinion, uh, early middle school, uh, and and uh, you know, you just have to sit down and educate them about the dangers that are out there. And uh, go back to the whole building the confidence thing. Um, you have to look back at COVID. Think about all the, the, the things that happened during the lockdowns and all of that. Um, you know, it is really, really weird time that, that has put a lot of stress on people, and especially young people who are trying to figure out the world and figure out life and figure out uh, what, they, what life is all about and figure out themselves. And now you throw all of this stuff in and uh, it is leading to a lot of, I think, a lot of depression. Um, uh, you know, there was you talking about the suicide with pills and everything. Um, it is hard to know. It's difficult to know the numbers. How many of those uh, what were you know classified as accidental overdoses or suicides that we just don't know? There's just no way to know in a lot of cases. Um, but I can tell you that uh, I think it was. Um, 2021, there was um, 108 or 109,000 was the final count, you know, uh, overdose uh, deaths. Um, and certainly uh, a good percentage of those were suicides. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, um, definitely parents need to have that conversation as early as they feel like, uh, probably maybe a little bit earlier than you think you might need to. And, and, you know, we need more people who are educated on the subject getting into schools um, so that they can talk to the kids at school about this, about this situation. And, and I go back to building that confidence, building it, build their confidence. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, in 2020, this, the overdoses in Denver tripled. Hmm. And that that's just what the government tell, is telling us, you know, like, who knows what the real number is. But it it was um, a huge jump and marijuana is legal there and it has been for a while. So I, I just it makes me want to understand more about the causes and and what's involved and what drugs and, and those things. But um, I don't know that we'll ever know the real answer to all of that. But what I do know um, and what's in our event description is that suicide is the third leading cause of death in young people between the ages of 15 and 24. And 5,000 young people complete suicide in the U.S. each year. That's that's just that blows my mind. Um, there are approximately 10 youth suicides for every 100,000 youth and in adults that's triple or quadruple that number um and then each day it says there are approximately 12 youth suicides hmm. um hmm. so anything we can do to change that and i think that there are probably teens that have gotten mixed up in an addiction that we're talking about and it ends up being what we think is a suicide or maybe it's no accidental overdose because of the trajectory of what they're involved in um, and not knowing, or maybe they're taking something and they don't know there's fentanyl in it or mm. anything like that. 
And so I think this conversation, I think, is so important um, for parents to understand because there are parents out there who haven't ever taken drugs and don't understand it Mm -hmm. or know it, you know, or have any idea that their kid is maybe even using. So I think this is very educational and I really appreciate your expertise on the subject. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you having me here. You know, I didn't even touch on uh, along the same lines, the, uh, the social media, social media is a big factor. And that's something that parents need to uh, take into consideration what kind of controls they're going to put over that and, and electronic devices. Um, and certainly at the end of the day, I want everybody listening. Um, uh, and, you know, this applies not only to the uh, parents, uh, you know, and, and how they relate to their teens, but I want everybody listening to know that they are loved. And I think that's important for parents to um, convey that, mm-hmm. to convey that message to their teens. Um but it's a message that we all need to get out to people in general uh, now, because so many people do, you know, um, uh, they're hurting. A lot of people are really hurting now and, and they don't realize how much they're loved. And so that's something we can't do enough of is to just communicate that to people that they are special. They're here for a purpose and they're loved. And, um, uh, especially to the parents listening to this, uh, uh, make sure that above all else that you convey that to your teenager on a regular basis. Yes. Agreed. And we do talk about kindness a lot in this community and just whether it's, whether it's your child or a stranger, you know, how we can be more kind and it just makes the world better in general. Sure. Um, so, Daryl, will you tell everybody where to find you and, and what you do so they will they will know how to find you if, if they need your services? Okay. So you can go to thefamilyrecoverycoach.com. And uh, there are some other places to find me out there on the Internet, <laughs> uh, quite a few places, but uh, that's the main place. I will mention that I, I do have a TikTok account and uh Uh, There's a lot of good videos there, I think. Um, I've gotten a lot of good uh, feedback from people. Um, But uh, what a family recovery coach does is a family recovery coach coaches parents who have a child who is battling drug or alcohol addiction. And, um, uh, you know, there are decisions that need to be made early on that I talked about earlier um, that a family recovery coach can help with. the communication issues are important. And then it's important to learn about uh, setting healthy boundaries, uh, learning how and when to let go of certain things. And um, that's really what a family recovery coach does. Uh, We're not a therapist. We are a coach. Um, But a lot of parents deal with uh, enabling uh, issues surrounding this surrounding uh, having a child who's battling addiction, um, uh, you know, rescuing issues, um, what we call codependency, um, and worry, chronic worry, uh, fear. 
And these are some of the things that as a family recovery coach that I help parents learn how to cope with, how to manage uh, those uh, emotions that come up. So, um, you know, if there's something I can do to help you, please reach out to me. I would uh, would love to talk to you. Um, this is my calling, my passion. Um, I love people. I love working with people. And uh, and I really uh, feel for our parents who are going this situ- going through this situation because I've been through it myself. Thank you, Daryl. I appreciate you being here. I'm so happy you joined us for this conversation. My wish is that you found comfort and hope in your own unique situation. If you resonated with our message, please head over to therealizedfoundation.org where you can apply to write your own story in one of our books. You can also download our 60 Ideas for Self-Care on the resources page. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, you are not alone, you are worthy, and you are enough.